Hey, this is Todd Herman, host of The Todd Herman Show. You might have heard me on Rush Limbaugh's show. I was a regular fill-in for about eight years. I now do a show out of the high mountains of free America because, you know, I got exiled from Seattle. Google Gemini correctly predicts the present day. Mind control matrix. The internet, television, even our phones wouldn't just be distractions, but tools used to manipulate the masses and suppress critical thinking. I said that correctly. Check out The Todd Herman Show every day on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. All of it brought to you by Blinds.com. For unlimited time, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get $20 off at Blinds.com. When you use the promo code Martini, that's blinds.com promo code Martini. Jim, let's start with our good Martini. And it's not often that we talk about Jay Inslee and the good Martini or that we talk about Jay Inslee at all, which is probably why uh, the news he's making puts him in the good Martini. Jay Inslee was one of roughly a couple dozen Democrats to run for the Democratic presidential nomination. And as he gets closer to the next debate deadline and the criteria for qualifying, it's becoming increasingly obvious that Democrats don't want him to be the next president. So we're happy to announce that he has enough common sense to realize that, and he's getting out. Here's what he said last night to Rachel Maddow on MSNBC. But it's become clear that I'm not going to be carrying the ball. I'm not going to be the president, so I'm withdrawing tonight from the race. But I have to tell you, look, I've been fighting climate change for 25 years, Mm -hmm. and I've never been so confident of the ability of America now to meet critical mass to move the ball. I believe we are going to have a candidate to fight this battle. Yes, because unless Jay Inslee had gotten in the race, Jim, nobody else of those two dozen Democrats ever talked about climate change. But uh, what do you make of the fact that he's getting out and that uh, this singular campaign on one issue didn't happen? Yeah, I mean, that's the traditional message that, uh, you know, candidates who who are, have very disappointing results tell themselves, well, we didn't win, but we changed the terms of the debate. And I really am not so sure about that. <laughs> I think that's it. Maybe on the margins, if you were writing a profile of Jay Inslee, you certainly focused on his, uh, you know, relentless focus on climate change uh, issues. I, as I wrote in today's Morning Jolt, single issue campaigns very rarely work, single issue presidential campaigns, for a whole bunch of reasons. But a big one is the president has to deal with more than one issue. I remember years ago talking to a pro-life activist who insisted Republicans would win and win big if they ran a single issue campaign on the issue of abortion. And I just could not seem to get my head around the idea like, you know, there is stuff like national security. There is stuff like economics. There's stuff like tax. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff the president deals with. Somebody who says, I'm going to run a single issue campaign generally is saying, think of my myopia as a strength. (laughs) Think of my inability to multitask as a great trait to have in a president of the United States. It doesn't really work that way. As we said, like you know, it'd be very easy to make fun of Jay Inslee, and we probably will as, as time goes by. But you know, give him a little bit of credit for you know, real, like waking up in some one of these mornings recently and realizing he doesn't have to do this. It's not having a very big impact. He really was not terribly memorable in either one of those debates. He was just another guy up on those stage. You, you see him on the debates, say, "Oh yeah, he's running." You know, I don't by this idea that you know, the, the issue of climate change would have been ignored if Jay Inslee had not entered the race or something like that. 
So, you know, Jay Inslee, it was going nowhere. You were, you were, you know, you had given it your best shot. It is not good enough. You were not standing out on this debate stage of 20 candidates. You know, not going to endorse you for Washington governor. I'm not a very big, I don't agree with you very much, but you acknowledge reality. Take your applause, head off, and, and live happily ever after. I'd like these, these candidates who enter the race and who don't get anywhere. Um, I don't want these, these things to be seen as good, you know, worthwhile endeavors. I want them to be seen as giant waste of time and energy and money. <laughs> because that way we'll get less of them in the future. Um, and it'd be kind of interesting, you know, we would kind of lead into our next uh, uh, martini, but just an observation that, like, I wonder if Jay Inslee is, is more well-liked in, in Washington or less well-liked in Washington now that he's done this. Um, it's got to be pretty humbling, but uh, you know what, Greg? Some of these people need some humbling. Well, like just about everyone else dropping out of the presidential race, Jim, he is going to be on the ballot in 2020. He's going to run for a third term as governor, so uh, everybody can just breathe a huge sigh of relief because uh, climate change will be the focus in Washington State for the United night. States are feeling a lot better right now. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Sorry, Washington, you're probably not done with him at least till uh, 2024, unless you actually decide not to vote for him this year, which is an option. Jordan. Try it. See what happens. <laughs> All right. But you could be blind to Jay Inslee's record or not come 2020 in the state of Washington. We'll leave that up to you people out there on the West Coast. When it comes to actual blinds, though, for many of us, your blinds or whatever you have on your windows is kind of an afterthought. But with brand new made-to-order custom window coverings from Blinds.com, you can really transform the look and feel of your entire home. So when you need new blinds, there's really only one place to go, and that's Blinds.com. With 15 million windows covered, and listen to this, over 30,000 five-star customer reviews, Blinds.com is America's number one online retailer for affordable, quality, custom window coverings. So whether you're looking for energy efficiency, Jay Inslee, you should like this, you just moved, or you want to refresh the look of your home, Blinds.com makes the whole experience fast and easy. Plus, every order gets free samples, free shipping, and a free online design consultation. Just send them pictures of your house, and they will send back custom recommendations from a professional for what will work with your color scheme, your furniture, and your specific rooms. They'll even send you free samples to make sure everything looks as good in person as it does online. And Once again, every order gets free shipping. Now, here's the best part. If you accidentally mismeasure or pick the wrong color, in other words, if you make a mistake, Blinds.com will remake your blinds for free. They've made it really easy for you, so there's no excuse to leave up those mangled blinds. And for a limited time, Three Martini Lunch listeners get $20 off at Blinds.com when you use promo code MARTINI. That's Blinds.com, promo code MARTINI for $20 off. That's $20 off for wood blinds, cellular shades, roller shades, and more. Blinds.com, promo code MARTINI, rules and restrictions apply. All right, Jim, speaking of people shifting from the presidential race to lower ballot races, let's talk about John Hickenlooper, who last Thursday decided to bow out of the Democratic presidential race. And just a week later, Jim, I assume he had never even thought about this while he was still officially running for president. (laughs) Here's John Hickenlooper, former governor of Colorado, already announcing that he is seeking the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate in Colorado, the seat currently held by Republican Cory Gardner. And for the second time this year in the Three Martini Lunch, here's John Hickenlooper's campaign introduction video, this time for Senate. I don't think Cory Gardner understands that the games he's playing with Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell are hurting the people of Colorado. We ought to be working together to move this country forward and stop the political nonsense. 
we're running out of time to confront climate change. We've got to help families who are crushed by prescription drug costs. And everybody ought to have a shot at building a better future. I know we can do that. Look, I'm a straight shooter. I've always said Washington was a lousy place for a guy like me who wants to get things done. But this is no time to walk away from the table. I know changing Washington is hard, but I want to give it a shot. He's in a pool hall, in case you couldn't tell. Jim, if there's anything I think of when I think of John Hickenlooper, it's kind of an Old West feel and blue jeans and a honky-tonk and and shooting pool because he just gives off that vibe, although he was in the brewery business. So as you see in the video, he is pretty good at pool. You've written about this before, that uh, people are now using a presidential campaign as a stepping stone for lower campaigns that they actually have a better odds of winning. And that's the bad martini today, is that John Hickenlooper, despite being uh, quite a failure on the presidential stage, is considered to be now the prohibitive favorite in a Senate race where Cory Gardner is most likely facing a pretty uphill climb. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say prohibitive favorite, but now it's safe to say that Cory Gardner, who is already going to have a tough re-election bid, uh, Colorado is a state that has been trending blue for quite a while now. I think Cory Gardner is the only statewide official in Colorado who is a Republican. Trump is winning at top of the ticket. Trump is not the kind of candidate who sells well in Colorado, did not do well in 2016. Cory Gardner already had a tough road to hoe ahead of him. And then, of course, now he's got probably a two-term governor uh, up against him. You can make the argument that Nick Looper did not run up against top-tier competition in either of his gubernatorial bids, and that Cory Gardner is going to give him a much tougher, he's going to be much tougher to beat. But uh, this is, this is you know, not the scenario the National Republican Senatorial Committee wanted to see. Um, the other thing I kind of noticed as you're listening to that, Ed, so when I wrote my profile of Hickenlooper back in the beginning of the year, they had 22 things you probably didn't know about John Hickenlooper. There's probably millions of things you don't know about him because nobody's heard of him. Um, you know, there, there was a certain, like, he, he was arguably one of my favorite Democrats, which is a very low bar to clear. Um, but there was kind of this quirky amiability. His ads were very funny. He seemed like a guy who really didn't have an appetite for partisan warfare. Uh, he's, as you said, the former brewery owner. He said there's no uh, profit margin in anger or holding grudges. And so as a you know, running a business, he had to welcome everybody. He tried to get along with everybody. You know, as far as, you know, politicians go, that's a pretty likable persona to have. And it's funny, I saw almost none of that in the presidential campaign by John Hickenlooper. Now, admittedly, you could probably argue, Jim, you didn't see much of anything from John Hickenlooper in his presidential campaign because he made so little impression and didn't stand out. You know, I mean, there was probably no guy whose personality was less suited to the current mood of the Twitter left, being furiously angry and wanting to be hard left as possible. But again, if he goes and he runs and he succeeds, my fear is that come 2024, anybody who's thinking about running for office in the Senate is going to say, you know what, let me run for president first. Let me see how that goes. And if I catch fire, great. Maybe you turn into this cycle's... um, Pete Buttigieg, you know, where you come out of nowhere, you're this little known mayor or somebody, and you suddenly become a top tier candidate and you're raising tens of millions of dollars. Or maybe it doesn't. Most likely it doesn't. But hey, why not do that for a while? And then if it doesn't go your way, drop down to the Senate race. And I don't think this is good, Greg, because if you want to run for Senate, run for Senate. If you want to run for president, run for president. But don't do this either or a little bit of both. You know, Hickenlooper is in the Senate race, and I think there's a decent chance that when January 2021 comes around, uh, we're dealing with Senator Hickenlooper. And, you know, Greg, it's just going to take a really long time to say Senator Hickenlooper every time they do the roll call. (laughs) 
Well, that's certainly true. I remember when you wrote about this when he was dropping out of the presidential race last week uh, and you were talking about how you shouldn't be able to run for two different offices in the same cycle. And I think it was your National Review colleague, uh, Dan McLaughlin, who uh, pointed out that in 2016, both Rand Paul and Marco Rubio uh, ran for re-election after not uh, securing the Republican nomination. So is this a problem that's afflicting both parties or do you see it more just on the left? Yeah, I, mean, I think my biggest gripe is when you run for pre- when nobody's heard of you and you run for president to build up your name, I believe. Um, and you can, somebody can make the fair argument that Coloradans had heard of John Hickenlooper. Um, but you run for president, you start cultivating that national fundraising base. And, you know, I just would like to see people who are running for president, just the people who are, who are in it seriously, not the narcissists, not the people who are fooling themselves. Uh, in our previous martini, we talked about Jay Inslee. And you can kind of fairly ask, so what is it in the third week of August that made him realize that he wasn't going to win? It wasn't true in mid-July or mid-June or mid-May or any of these points. Uh, maybe you could say, all right, we'll hold out for the debates. And maybe he didn't like the first one, so he's over for the second one. But it's been pretty clear. It's going nowhere for a whole bunch of these people. And I think this, um, in addition to degrading the quality of the debates, I think it just basically makes it harder for the candidates to evaluate each candidate uh, fairly and well when there's a crowd of them. Uh, I think they just kind of think, you know, like I said, the Joe Biden Cheerios theory. They just go with what they know, and that's one of the things that's keeping them up there. So, you know, you could argue that, you know, Rand Paul and Marco Rubio are other examples of this phenomenon. But, you know, you run for president. It doesn't go anywhere. You're already in the Senate. Fine. You want to run for re-election. Go ahead and do that. I I don't see that as big a deal. Maybe some people would define that as hypocritical. But, uh, you know, Greg, it's late summer. I don't care. (laughs) So Eric Swalwell's gone. Mike Gravel's gone, not that he was ever really in. Uh, John Hickenlooper's gone. Jay Inslee is gone. But you know who's in and has met the threshold for individual donors to qualify for the next debate? Marianne Williamson. Harnessing love. Harnessing love is working. And I think Andrew Yang is uh, still engaged as well. Take that, dark psychic forces. All right, well, let's talk about some more good news, and that's Four Patriots, where you can find them at fourpatriots.com slash martini and find all the great deals, including getting a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. As we always say with Four Patriots, you need to be prepared because you just don't know when the power is going to go out. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X worth its weight in gold because it has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run all the big appliances like your fridge, your freezer, and medical devices. comes with 12 outlets, including four AC, plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Never needs gas, thanks to that solar panel. Fume-free, silent, and safe. 100% 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Visit 4patriots.com slash martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini. Jim, we've got a consistent theme today of people either considering or actually running for president who have no business doing so. So let's get to the crazy martini. Enter Joe Walsh. No, not the rock singer. But Joe Walsh, former congressman from Illinois, now is a radio talk show host, 2010 in the Tea Party wave. Uh, He narrowly uh, defeated a woman named Melissa Bean, who had uh, 
previously won a longtime Republican-held seat back in 2006. Walsh barely beat her, ran into a lot of controversy over uh, personal issues and just uh, kind of his personality in Congress, got slaughtered by Tammy Duckworth in 2012. He, uh, you see him on Newsmax TV if you get that sometimes. He's also on CNN a lot now because he hates Trump. He actually said back in 2016, and Jim, I'll let you talk about this as well, because uh, you wrote about it in the Jolt today, that if Trump lost, he wanted people to join him in grabbing a musket. But now he hates Trump and everything Trump stands for. And so he's apparently likely to launch a Republican primary challenge uh, to Trump, because apparently the challenge posed by former Massachusetts Governor William Weld is just not quite getting it done. What do you make of this effort, Jim, from a guy who uh, didn't find a whole lot of support when he was running for the House? Uh, do you think the White House is the way to go for him now? Yeah, um, I'm kind of underwhelmed with Joe Walsh. And I say this saying that I'm probably a whole bunch of issues, and particularly the economic ones. Joe Walsh and I probably would agree. Um, I, you know, his, his win in uh, 2010 in the House race in Illinois was probably you know, a near miracle. Uh, it was, I believe, it was 200-some votes was the margin. This was a pretty darn democratic district, and he shocked the world. It was kind of the maybe one of the best examples of the power of the Tea Party movement uh, back in the Chicago suburbs back then. Um, I do think it's worth noting that he got to Washington and well, you know, kind of courted those controversy. He was one of those guys who did, you know, I think, more television interviews than any other member of the freshman class back in 2011. He did a whole bunch of town hall meetings, which is good. There was one where he kind of flipped out and started screaming at a constituent. Not one of his better moments. Um, the you know, Illinois Democrats control the redistricting process in Illinois then. They redraw the district lines, put him up against another Republican, Randy Holtgren, and Joe Walsh says, okay, I'm not going to run it against another Republican. This is clearly an effort to bump me off. I'm going to move right across the district line and run the 7th district, where he's up against Tammy Duckworth. As I read in today's Joel, when you're up against a wounded veteran <laughs> at your general election, that's always tough. That is always the you know, situation where you know, you're going to you have to attack the opponent, but you have to look like, and he said something along the lines of, oh, God, it's all she ever talks about didn't play well. He ended up losing by about 10 points, and that was the end of Joe Walsh's career in Congress. He goes off to be a radio talk show host, and he's, you know, pretty darn good at that, successful, uh, but has courted his own sense of controversy. He said he speculated that Barack Obama was Muslim. As you said, grab a musket, all kind of stuff. I mean, and then, of course, 2016, he's supporting President Trump. He endorsed Trump, makes the argument for Trump, and you look on his Twitter feed and his media appearances, he was pretty darn pro-Trump well into 2017. I understand it was the Helsinki summit with Putin that made, you know, finally was the last straw and Walsh snapped. And as he's been preparing for this presidential bid, Walsh has been pretty open about the fact that the persona he had, both in Congress and in, you know, first couple of years of his uh, talk radio career, he, he looks back and he realizes it was, it was not what the country needed. It was too angry. It was disrespectful. It was really incendiary. There's one note I'm going to throw out here because you might hear, you know, Joe Walsh got suspended from his radio show for using racial slurs. Well, what happened was Walsh was talking, it was about the discussion of the Washington Redskins, and he starts talking about other slurs, the N-word and various other words like that. Except he doesn't say the N-word. He says the actual N-word. He was not trying to insult anybody. He was not saying it, you know, in a way to, to be hateful or anything. But the talk radio station said, you know what, we're not... Yeah, we're, we're suspending you for a few days. We don't want to hear the N-word on our radio program, even if it's just in a context of discussing the word. So I don't think that's a terrible example. I do think you can kind of say it's kind of a you know, bad judgment. You know, Greg, you or I would not be running around saying that word on this podcast without checking with our bosses to make sure it's okay. Um, and so hey, you have this guy who's much of his public persona 
has been pretty Trumpy until about 2018 or so. Now he wants to set a better example. Now he wants to be more respectful. Now he wants a more polite and, and empathetic and understanding discourse. Greg, that's great, but I don't think I could get to become president because of that. Like, you know, show me you can do it for more than a year, and then maybe I'll believe the idea that you really are have turned over a new leaf. Um, and again, this is a guy who's did one term in the House. You know, as I wrote yesterday, there are a lot of reasons that huge problems with President Trump. And I think actually, I think it's, we see day by day, week by week, we want to buy Greenland, we're canceling a trip to Denmark because we're offended, yada, yada, yada. There's a lot of room for a Republican challenger to Trump. And then we get Walsh or Mark Sanford, or William Weld. And it's just like, this is what we get? As I said yesterday, this is a buffet table of bad choices, Greg. <laughs> well, the truth is that it, in the current climate, and really anytime you have an incumbent president, unless they're just mortally wounded in popularity within their own party, defeating them in a primary is an almost an impossible task. But mm-hmm. what we're seeing here, because I've seen reports that Walsh is uh, the choice and has been encouraged by Bill Crystal to do this, the Bill Crystal is kind of in a declining mode here of who he's uh, recruiting to take on Donald Trump. His first choice uh, last year, or back in 2016, David French. We all love David French. Uh, he's he's well thought of. He's uh, got a bronze star from his service uh, during the Iraq War and so forth. Then he, when David French said no, he slummed down to Evan McMullen, and we know how that turned out. And now he's going with Joe Walsh, who has zero chance of winning. So I'm not sure he's the kingmaker he thinks he is here. I was going to say, Joe Walsh is who you get when you can't get David French. I also point out, like, just a good example of this, 2015, Joe Walsh, at this precarious point in our country's history, we have someone in the White House who is an anti-American, anti-Christian, socialist Muslim. I'm glad Joe Walsh wants to, to turn over a new leaf. He realizes that, you know, this stuff was out of line back then. But um, great. You don't get to be president for, you know, for having that moral awakening. You know, like, or do some more with your life before you want to be the next commander in chief. Okay. So, you know, again, and again, I don't like this idea of, well, I'm running. I know I'm not going to win. I think it was uh, Mark Sanford who said, yeah, clearly there's no chance I'm going to win. And I understand, you know, running for president at this point and thinking you can beat Trump. Uh, You know, it sounds absurd on many levels. Absurd on many levels strikes me as just the perfect campaign slogan for Sanford, right? (laughs) Well, as we established yesterday, because Sanford would be running on fiscal responsibility. Ain't nobody got time for that anymore. At least he realizes that. But I'm glad he's still talking about fiscal discipline. I don't think a presidential campaign's the place to do it, but somebody needs to talk about it because other than uh, Rand Paul and maybe a couple folks in the House, uh, it's not happening a lot anymore. There's a common theme through all of our martinis today, which is, you know, if running for president on the Democratic side is a good way to go from being a small political figure to be a bigger political figure, well, then, if you are wishing to be a more, you know, if you, if you want national media coverage, run for president against Trump. You're not going to win. You'll be lucky if you break, break double digits in a whole bunch of states. But, hey, you know, it's a way to you, you'll get some you'll get interviewed on CNN in the morning. Oh, That'll yeah. get you attention. You will, will not get anywhere otherwise. And to me, it's a we've, we've developed a system that feeds into the delusions of narcissists. Let's say just for a second, Jim, that all three of these guys are in. Weld's already in, but let's say Sanford and Walsh get in as well. And so you get to New Hampshire and Trump gets, whatever, 80-something, 90-something percent of the Republican vote. Do you think the person who comes in second with like 4 percent, let's say it's Weld, since he's right next door there, would say, this is why Joe Walsh and Mark Sanford have got to get out of the race. (laughs) Only I am in position. 
we must consolidate all 8%. Look, maybe you end up with a well-Sanford Unity ticket. Now you're up to 6%. Oh, man, that would be hilarious. Jim, well, it's been a fun episode of people who have no business running for president. Uh, (laughs) It ends up to be our theme a lot of days. (laughs) Two people have wised up. Will we have a third? We'll find out. Jim, talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And be sure to tune in again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. In the meantime, head over to blinds.com. Use the promo code MARTINI for $20 off your window treatments at blinds.com. Cartels are exploiting Indian reservations to get into America, and our federal government can't be bothered to stop it. Hey, y'all, it's Sarah Carter from The Sarah Carter Show. I just got back from two trips to our southern border, and I want to take you inside a huge hotspot where thousands of migrants are coming into America every day. I was with a member of the National Border Patrol Council when the Border Patrol nabbed multiple illegal migrants who are breaking U.S. law, and I have the exclusive audio. For all this and more, subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show on your favorite podcast app.